Welcome back to On the Cusp, the podcast that analyzes new forms of aggression facing liberal democracies. And more importantly, here's from the innovative people at the forefront of countering that aggression. And a special welcome to our new listeners. I'm your host, Elizabeth Braw, and I work on these issues as a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Now, there has been shocking news from Lithuania in recent weeks. As the whole world knows by now, at the end of May, a Ryanair flight flying from Athens to Vilnius was ordered to land in Minsk, ordered by Belarusian authorities, I should add. And in Minsk, Belarusian authorities took the Belarusian blogger Roman Protasevich and his girlfriend off the plane and let everybody else go back on the plane and travel on to Vilnius. Lithuania then unsurprisingly responded by banning flights that use Belarusian airspace. Other EU countries responded similarly, as did the UK. But the story continues. President Lukashenko of Belarus vowed to take revenge on Lithuania by sending refugees to its borders. And he seems to be doing exactly that. The Lithuanian State Border Guard Service is reporting that 397 people, almost 400 people, have been detained in Lithuania after crossing from Belarus this year. That's up from 81 people total last year. Many of these people come from Iraq and Turkey. And Radio Free Europe has reported that in recent weeks, flights from Baghdad to Minsk have mysteriously increased, even though there isn't really much tourism in Minsk. Now, earlier this month, a Radio Free Europe correspondent watched some 100 people, all men, arrive in Minsk on a flight from Baghdad. Now, Lithuania's government has accused Lukashenko of doing what he promised to do, which is weaponizing refugees. There's nobody better with whom to discuss this maddening situation than Andreas Kabilius. Mr. Kabilius has been prime minister of Lithuania not just once, but twice, and is now a member of the European Parliament. Welcome. And now I want to start, Mr. Kobilius, by asking about Roman Protasevich, who has just been transferred with his girlfriend, Sofia Sapega, to house arrest. And that's clearly better than, than being in prison, but it's still also a significant violation of their human rights. Now, that raises the question for Lithuania, I think, whether it should keep up the pressure on the Belarusian government or whether it should ease off of that pressure because these two dissidents, one Russian, one Belarusian citizen, are no longer uh, in prison. Well, first of all, of course, uh, for us, democracy in Belarus, you know, and what people of Belarus you know, are demanding, uh, possibility for them to make a democratic choice, you know, that uh, for us is very important. It's not, uh, it's important not only for Belarusian people, but also for us, because to have a democratic neighbor is always much more safe, you know, from simply from security point of view than to have autocratic regime, you know, like Lukashenko, who is turning to become what we can call, you know, state terrorism regime. With the landing of, uh, you know, plane, that is an action of, of uh, terroristic nature. We were pushing for proper reaction from Western community, from EU side, you know, from the very beginning. We were not always satisfied with lack of, you know, more clear, you know, steps forward from, from EU. After this, you know, terrorist attack with the landing of, of the plane, you know, we see much more unity and the willingness, political willingness to be much more effective from the Western community side. And with the recent sanctions, I think really it's very important step forward and i hope that really it can influence the whole you know crisis to be resolved 
as people demand and as we are supporting their demand. Of course, story of Protasevich and Sapiego is a very, very sad story, a very tragic story, and it's really evidence what what regime you know is doing and what they can do. A release from prison to home arrest, as I understand from you know from Belarusian witnesses. This is not like, you know, it's happening in some, you know, European countries where home arrest is, is something like uh, really quite a soft regime just to be present, to show that you are not leaving your home, you know. Mm-hmm. In, in Belarus, it's totally different. As, as I was listening, I don't know, you know, exactly how it's done for Protasevich and Sapiego, but recently exactly on one of the seminars, somebody witnessed, uh, you know, from Belarus, what does it mean home arrest in Belarus? It's not very clear what is more painful, you know, to be arrested in, in and to sit in the prison, but at least to have your cell, you know, where you can spend time uh, separated from supervision or at least, you know, the security guys. In home arrest, you have security guys in your home, in your, in your flat. Yeah. And that is what home arrest in Belarus. So... Uh, <laughs> So, you know, it's, uh, well, I don't know if that's, if that really, you know, any, anything, whatever, what we can evaluate as a positive step, set steps from, from regime side. Mm. No, that, that's a good point. Maybe it's, it, it looks good from our outsider perspective, simply because we are familiar, we in the West are familiar with house arrest being one thing, but as you say, it could be quite different if it means supervision around the clock by security uh, personnel. I wanted to ask you as well, now, forced landing of the plane was really something that no government has ever tried before, simply because it's it's something that governments don't do, do such things, or they hijack planes, but government authorities don't do it, simply because below the dignity of government authorities anywhere to engage in aviation piracy. And I, I, that raises the question of if if uh, Lukashenko is willing to do this, what else might he be willing to do? And that, again, puts Lithuania in, in a tricky situation because it could be the target. What are you concerned about? What sort of things could, or measures by Lukashenko, do you think we should be concerned about or are you concerned about? Well, exactly. Your point is, is very valid. Exactly what I was also you know, saying after, after that you know, hijacking or forced landing of the plane. I asked myself, so what is what is the major reason why Lukashenko decided to do it? And my answer was very simple, because he was feeling that he's unpunishable. He was not punished by Western community till now with all his crimes you know, against the people. And he decides that he can do, you know, some kind of this, you know, terrorist uh, action and he will not be punished. That was, you know, way of his thinking. And of course, that is what we need to to have in mind, because you know it's very clear that we are witnessing one very clear transformation. Authoritarian regime, if it's not stopped at the very early stage when it starts to do its crimes, he turns itself into some kind of terrorist regime. That mm. is a lesson for for us, for Western community. No, and that is what we need to have in mind when we are looking into possible developments, for example, even in Russia itself. But that's another topic. Now on what is next, you know, definitely that is a question, you know, which we are asking ourselves and we're asking, you know, Western community also to, to see in a, in a very clear light that, you know, 
We cannot predict what decided to do to do next. Immediately after that landing and our you know and, and reaction from the Western community, he declared that you know all those uh, you know cross-border traffic of immigrants and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And really, now we have we have some issue, we have problem. Still, it's not it's manageable, but we see again how the state, how Belarusian state is uh, organizing this uh, traffic of illegal migrants, you know, who are flying from uh, Iraq, you know, using official airlines from Baghdad to Minsk. And then in some ways they are transported to, you know, border and then they are crossing the Syrian border. And the numbers are increasing, you know, by day. And till now we have something like uh, five or six times more those illegal migrants if to compare with the last year date. So yeah. that is what we see from Lukashenko. Now, yesterday or day before yesterday, he declared that he can introduce uh, some kind of, you know, I don't know what's English proper word for military regime in the western part of, you know, Belarus, because, you know, sanctions are really very, very harsh, very, very very painful and so on and so on. So we don't know still what it will mean, you know, for this, you know, neighboring uh, regions in Belarus on the Lithuanian border. But we need to be ready for all the, you know, possible actions, which uh, we even uh, cannot predict uh, now. And, and as you say, the threat of using migrants against another country, but allowing them to cross, using that threat is not new, uh, I believe, has used it in the past, but nobody has, has until now threatened to use that weapon or tool or whatever you want to call it, and then come through on that threat. I think many people recall during the, the refugee crisis in 2015 to 2016, uh, Putin allowed, or Russia allowed migrants to, to cross into Finland and Norway via Russia, but that was Putin never claimed credit or took credit for it. It just happened. Whereas Lukashenko said, okay, we're going to use migrants against you. And then Belarus did. And I think that the the challenge facing a country such as Lithuania, specifically Lithuania at the moment, is uh, what do you do when your neighbor or or the other country in question doesn't feel any shame? (laughs) No self-respecting country or no country wanting to be part of the liberal world order would do such a thing. But Lukashenko clearly doesn't care. So (laughs) what options does Lithuania have? Well, you know, of course, uh, we're ready to defend ourselves. We're ready to defend also, you know, neighboring countries from from those threats which uh, Lukashenko is is you now making and organizing. And this is a difference even from Erdogan, you know, because Erdogan was just saying that I will allow you know migrants which are coming to Turkey, you know, to pass through Turkey into 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 Europe. As we understand the whole situation with uh, migrants from Belarus. You know, Lukashenko is organizing them, you know, mm-hmm. he's assisting them to fly, to fly into, you know, to take planes from Baghdad to, to Minsk and then to, he's bringing them to, to the border. That's, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Of course, we are expecting also from EU side solidarity. I mean, not only solidarity in wars, but also in actions, you know, with Frontex, uh, you know, till now, luckily, during all the, you know, Migration crisis back in 2015, 16, we were quite safe. You know, we 
and we simply do not have experience, you know, how to stop, what to do if migrants are, are coming into, into the country, you know, we are building now some camps, you know, and so on. But that's where, where really we need some kind of solidarity, and we see that solidarity. In European Parliament, as I understand, for example, next week, there will be a special discussion in AFET and LIBA committee devoted to that issue you know, on legal migrants from Belarus into, into the same. Yeah, and, and as you say, there are many countries in the EU with experience in, in, in handling large uh, numbers of, of um, asylum seekers arriving in the country. Uh, I want to ask you about something related to this, which is uh, Lithuania's economy, which is closely linked to that of, of Belarus. And, and for example, if I'm not mistaken, uh, one third of the goods uh, arriving at Klaipeda port travel on to Belarus. And that's significant income for the port of Klaipeda and also for Lithuania. So are you concerned that uh, if Lithuania makes its voice heard uh, very clearly that Belarus will punish it in, in economic terms. Well, we are you know, predicting that it will happen, but we have also very clear, clear understanding that in long term, you know, uh, democracy in Belarus will benefit not only you know, Belarus itself, it will benefit us you know, from security point of view, but also it will benefit us from economical point of view. Since, you know, really cooperation on economical issues, business issues, you know, this Belarus will be much more stable, much more predictable. And that is what really, if we, when we shall suffer now, you know, as, as Belarusians will suffer, you know, also because of those sanctions, it will be, you know, repaid or repaid or we shall get, you know, some much larger benefits, all of us, you know, from democratic transformation in Belarus and, and democratic transformation in Belarus. With such a regime as we see now, it uh, it will uh, really it cannot happen without without uh, you know some pain for I, I would go for a short period of time. That's my view, you know, and and that pain really will be you know we are in solidarity with the Russian people, but of course you know even if our economy will need to suffer, I think that we sh- uh, we shall survive. We shall not complain too much. Maybe we shall look for some you know. Solidarity from EU, you know, side. I don't know if, if, if it's possible to to ask for some kind of you know damage compensations and so on. But uh, it's you know it's it's possible to discuss. Yes, and clearly it's in the interest of many other EU member states that that Belarus become a, a democratic and and prosperous country. In connection with that, now Lithuania hosts a number of, of Belarusian dissidents, including Svetlana Tishanovskaya, who was Lukashenko's main contender in the recent presidential election. And that presidential election was won by Lukashenko, although uh, it, suspicions are that really Tishanovskaya won, although we can't know because it wasn't a free and fair election. But uh, she's now in, Belar- in, in Lithuania and is able to work from there. But I wanted to ask if I, I think it, it makes it makes so much sense for Western countries to help dissidents in in countries that are not free. But then my, my fear is that those regimes can use that support and say, you're meddling in our countries, we'll meddle in yours. What do you think? Is is that a concern? Well, first of all, we are not meddling in, you know. 
into, you know, Belarus as a country, you know. We are supporting Belarusian people, we are supporting human rights and democracy, which is an obligation also of Belarusian authorities. Of course, Lukashenko regime is not anymore legitimate, and Lukashenko understands it by himself. He, you know, decided to steal elections when he understood that he lost them back in August last year. And uh, there was a lot of evidence from, from those, you know, election commissions, precinct commissions, which were attempting to calculate all the votes, you know, in a, in a transparent way. It was very clear that uh, Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya was winning elections, not only in Minsk, but in, in all the countryside. So that's where, where, where things are. Now, now on uh, Lukashenko or any, anybody else, you know, attempts to, to try to influence or to interfere into our domestic you know, political, political developments, that is nothing new. We are you know, under permanent you know, hybrid, <laughs> hybrid, how to say, interferences from Kremlin or from Minsk. You know, uh, that is where, where we have some experience. Of course, sometimes we see that it creates some problems, but uh, again, that is nothing new. So what is new, perhaps, that really in the West, at least in the EU, I see that there is more and more understanding of, you know, all those attempts of hybrid attacks, not only military threats, but also hybrid attacks. And, and in our discussion here in the Parliament, we are really looking uh, for all the different possibilities how to how to contain those threats, you know, how to become ourselves strong, cleaner even, you know, how not to allow some kind of, you know, that money coming from Kremlin or from Minsk, you know, to influence our political developments. And that is what we are doing. And I think that we are quite, quite successful. And at least, you know, and again, uh, the strength come, is coming not that we have some special, you know, political community in Lithuania, very, very brave and, and very and very clean and very transparent, but simply because our people in really very strong solidarity with Belarusian people are in very strong, you know, sympathies. And, and last year, exactly in August, I don't know if you remember, we had this, you know, uh, freedom way from Vilnius, you know, the chain of yeah. people to, from Vilnius to the border. And that was... That was really something what what came out from the people. It was not government who decided let's let's go on the on the on the way you know on the road, and that makes all things you know in Lithuania much more stronger. You know, position of government is based on our people's political you know civil and political will, and that's where either you know Minsk attempts to interfere or Moscow attempts to to stop our our position is is not very effective. And we should mention that the Freedom Way that you just mentioned was an initiative where people held hands all the way from Vilnius to the border with Belarus. And that was a replication, one might say, a replica of something that Lithuanians, uh, Latvians and Estonians did just before gaining their independence. When they, uh, I don't know how they did it. It's a miracle they managed to do it before mobile phones and, and even before widespread landline use. Yeah. But they did it and uh, holding hands all the way from uh, the south of Lithuania to the north of Estonia, a, a phenomenal achievement of, of, uh, by the people. One thing, uh, Mr. Quilius, I want to ask you about finally is the planned summit that uh, Angela Merkel and uh, Emmanuel Macron wanted to um, organize with Vladimir Putin. Uh, they 
thought it up and, and uh, then mentioned it in public. And there was phenomenal pushback from countries, including yours. And now it has been put on ice. Is it not a good idea, do you think, to, to have a summit with Putin or, or what, what? So first of all, is, is it not a good idea? And second of all, what should be done at this point? Well, I would say that really uh, maybe the problem was with the logic, you know, <laughs> of the whole, you know, discussion and, and the whole, you know, thinking about EU, EU strategy towards Russia. I think that, first of all, we need to agree on strategy. What is our long-term, you know, strategic goal in our relationship with Russia? In my view, and at least what we are trying to put, you know, with a very clear language in European Parliament report, in our view, EU strategy uh, towards Russia should concentrate, first of all, how to assist the Russian people, you know, to have transformation of their country back to democracy, but not how to assist Putin regime to survive. That's, you know, the difference. So we need to engage uh, with, you know, Russian people, but not, well, we can have some discussions with, you know, uh, Kremlin regime, but it should not uh, be instead of, you know, our, our very clear attempts, you know, to assist Russian people, you know, to transform their country. So second, that means that we need to have very clear goals, what we want to talk with Putin, you know. And I would say, you know, I would put in a very, very simple, simple way. Now, we need to have very clear understanding how we can, first of all, how we can push back. I would use, you know, this uh, uh, Borel, you know, <laughs> wording, you know, push back. But push back Putin on democracy, on Navalny, I would say, in, in general, Navalny, you know, on all the, you know, political activists, on Ukraine and and, and, and the last, but not, you know, not the least, on Belarus. Because, again, we need to see very clearly that Lukashenko is surviving simply because of Putin's support. And we need to send a very clear me message to Putin. If he will continue with that support, Kremlin regime will be you know, forced to pay the price with sanctions or whatever, you know, but that, that would be our message. If on the EU side we would have such kind of very clear you know, understanding what we need to uh, talk with Putin, what kind of message we want to send him, then I am not, not against, you know, any kind of meeting or summit. But when summit is becoming most important priority, per se, you know, just left, let's have a summit, but we don't know what we shall talk, then really it forces you to look not very seriously in its, you know, strategic approach towards uh, Russia. Yeah, and if we look at the developments are likely to, to uh, take place in, in Belarus and with Belarus in the next uh, few weeks and months, there look, seems to be a lot uh, the, the EU member states will need to discuss with Mr. Putin because clearly Mr. Lukashenko doesn't uh, care about international norms anymore. And that is something that uh, should be a concern, not just to you member states, but to even to Mr. Putin. So with that, Andreas Kobilius, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. As always, please feel free to subscribe and comment on Apple and Spotify and give us a good rating too, if you're so inclined. And many thanks as ever to our producers, Olivia Leslie and Leila Hernandez. We'll be back very soon with another episode and another guest who's doing pioneering work. See you on the cusp.